Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 21st, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Pena Boulevard, which will soon be under construction in an effort to expand the road leading to Denver International Airport. The $93.5 million project that is set to take off in January of 2020 will begin on the 3.5 miles closest to the airport, growing from six lanes to nine lanes. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, the road's going to be under construction. The terminal is under construction. Are we just simply going to hate going to the airport for the next few years? We are not even going to get to the airport because don't forget, I-70 is going to be under construction on the way to Pena Boulevard. So it's interesting with the airport of the future, as this was billed before it opened belatedly 25 years ago, that they couldn't figure out how big they would need the area they'd need for the parking gar- uh, the parking ticket kiosk. Remember that? They had to move that immediately, that you couldn't figure out how many lanes you might need for Pena Boulevard. And now there's that sweet hell if you go through the terminal, which is just really tough. So I think the train might be the answer for the next six years. <laughs> I think it very much Not the be. train at DIA, mind you. <laughs> yeah, Amtrak. That's true. You're, about the, you're talking about the, call the, the, the Denver <laughs> Zephyr. Uh, Am- I'm talking about Anaheim. scooters. <laughs> We may very well be uh, a scooter nation by then. You're absolutely right, Patty. Uh, Ed Sealever from the Denver Business Journal joins us. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Ed, is this the kind of expansion DIA needs right now in the midst of a terminal project that is already being pushed back a couple years? I mean, technically, no. I mean, the, the, the timing isn't good. But let's remember, this, this is the fifth busiest airport in America. 56 million people fly in and out of this place every year. So, yes, you need ways to get people both into the airport and out of the airport. Let's also not forget, we're starting to see with the success of the train line, ironically, development along Pena Boulevard. So the road that was once primarily airport traffic is now going to be supporting mixed-use communities, other people living and working out there. Yeah, we need this, and maybe it's not too bad that we're thinking ahead of time before it gets really ugly on this road. Scott Wasserman, president of Bell Policy Center, joins us. Great to have you back. Scott, DAA has a lot of things going for it efficiency-wise. It's a good, bad-weather airport. It's, it's, it has plenty of size to grow. But it seems to be a lot of things going on at the same time. What do you think about this decision about all this work right now? So progress is never convenient. Um, these are infrastructural changes that we need to make. Um, we are a growing metropolitan area and state. And you need to you need to fix your infrastructure. I think the challenge with DIA is that it's so high stakes because it's so high scrutiny. People will never forget missing a flight, and they'll never forget the headache of you know trying to pick up a loved one in the middle of traffic. So I, I have this theory about public maintenance projects, which is people say they want them, and then they actually experience them, and then that 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 feeling lingers, and and it hurts us later on when we need to raise money uh, and public confidence for the next project. That's a good point. I've been waiting to say these words for over four years. Our, uh, the, rounding up the panel today, our friend, your friend, Lynn Bartles, the contributing columnist at Colorado Politics. It is so wonderful to have you back. Lynn, I'm figuring with all these different projects, as long as Blucifer doesn't move, we'll be okay, right? <laughs> well, I don't know why anybody's surprised that we have all these <coughs> construction projects. The whole city is under construction. Why shouldn't we have everything there be under construction? I mean, I really believe that RTD has to make sure that train works because I think a lot more. I'll take the train home, but I never take the train there just because you don't want to miss your flight. Well, now I think I'll be taking the train there. And, you know, 
when you say about 25 years ago when they planned this and that, can you imagine if people said, we're going to make sure that it's big enough so that we don't have to expand in 25 years? I mean, people were already going nuts thinking how great, dinky, dumpy little Stapleton was. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a good point, uh, as always, Miss Bartles. In a 5-2 to two decision this week, the Colorado State Supreme Court ruled that the Taxpayer Bill of Rights could be abolished by voters with just one vote on a future ballot. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, the Colorado Legislative Council updated revenue forecasts and announced that taxpayers could get a sales tax refund and a state income tax cut thanks to Tabor. Patty, uh, Tabor and this show uh, got on the scene the very same year, and we've been talking about Tabor since the very beginning. What does these latest decisions mean for the future of Tabor from what, you, what we can see right now? That we will be talking about it 27 years from now. Yeah, when this show started, Tabor was in diapers, and now we are, or some of us are. <laughs> it's extraordinary. But the Supreme Court decision that came down is what's really extraordinary because two years after Tabor, you got the singled item issue coming down where you couldn't have these complicated um, amendments and measures. You had to have a single topic. And now they've said there could actually be a proposal to repeal all of Tabor in one fell swoop, which no one expected, including the people who kind of sent it to the Supreme Court. So that isn't going to come up in 2019. We're going to see instead CC, which has been referred by the legislature. But over the last 27 years, we've seen so many different votes on Tabor. Most of the municipalities, and I have to say, most people like that one part of Tabor where people get to vote on whether they want new taxes. And I think that is going to stay, and we will be talking about that probably in 27 more years. But in 2020, I think we will see a bill to repeal Tabor altogether. Ed, Tabor is politically tricky ground all over the place. So you look at the headlines from this week, and it's like, oh, well, gosh, now there's going to be something to repeal it. And then you go, oh, well, wait a second. You hear comments from Governor Polis who say, well, I, yeah, I think people like voting for uh, their own taxes, so maybe we shouldn't tackle that part. Uh, so I could see people on both sides supporting Tabor and opposing Tabor seeing something positive from the news this week. What do you think? Well, I think this is going to be really tricky ground for the Democrats in particular if Carol Hedges and the Colorado Fiscal Institute decide to move forward with a full repeal ballot measure. Because um, as you said, as Governor Polis said, Governor Polis, not a conservative, uh, that people like voting on their own taxes. And I think it is political dynamite. If you put something that is a straight repeal on there, because nobody will be talking about the ratchet down rule, nobody will be talking about excess revenues and how they are apportioned out to the voters or kept by local government. A straight repeal means this is what you will ask voters. Do you still want to vote on tax increases? Really? I don't think you do. Do you? That is not a good campaign. Um, I think what people need to do now is to see how they can slice and dice this. Now they kind of know they have this carte blanche to not just ask one particular question, which was always the issue with, you know, potentially getting rid of the ratchet down effect, which limits how government can build back up its resources after a recession, um, because you have to explain that to the voters. If you could somehow go after that and some of the other parts of Tabor uh, and do a really well-funded and informed campaign to explain that to voters, you might get what you want. But I would highly recommend against asking voters to stop being able to approve tax increases. 
Uh, Scott, I uh, I know from uh, just uh, following you on Twitter and, and knowing the Belt Policy Center, uh, Tabor has uh, not been held dear to your heart. There's a lot of folks in the same place. But there's other parts of the news this week that impact the CC campaign, that referendum that's going to be this fall, because even the folks that put it on, uh, referred it to the ballot, didn't know there would be a lot of money to spend. They came out this week saying, we didn't think there would be a whole lot of money there. Now there's reports there's going to be a whole chunk of money. Well, Again, you have reasons to smile on both sides of that. On the proponent side, well, great. Now we actually have some money that we can spend on education and transportation. Wonderful. And on the other side, it's pretty tantalizing to offer folks, folks, you can either vote for politicians to spend your money or you can have this money back, even if it's in the form of a refund of 45 bucks. Uh, how do you see the news that came down this week? So... I have so much to say and so, 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 so little time, I a in, in, my time. In, 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 in which to say it. I mean, I, I, think, I think I've thought about this from a lot of different perspectives, and I think at the heart of it is reflected in all of your comments and in your comment as well as just how complicated uh, Tabor makes our state's finances. And while the, the proponents of Tabor try to boil it down to this very simplistic, but it's your right to vote on taxes, there are all of these different elements. The one that I think nobody ever talks about that is getting a lot of oxygen nationally is that Tabor prevents us from having graduated income tax. So if you think that the wealthy should ha- pay a higher tax rate uh, than lower or middle income Coloradans, guess what? Tabor is not your friend. Um, but I think that what, I, what I'm trying to focus on this week is, let's just look at the outcomes, right? It may be a very great idea and ideal to have voters vote on every single tax question. But let's look at what, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Our schools are underfunded. We have an $11 billion backla- backlog in transportation. <clears throat> There's all of these other things that we're not spending money on. And there's expenses that are coming down the pike that you wouldn't believe. Like when the baby boomers finally have to retire and we have to pay for long-term care costs, we won't be able to afford it. So our focus, I think, as, as the Bell Policy Center and, and as the movement that I think this is a huge boost to is going to be, look, great idea, great ideal. Look what it has wrought in our state. Lynn, uh, you have covered Tabor uh, for many <laughs> years. You know where all the bodies are buried on this one. As you're seeing the political work on this. People are looking at the results this week. They're saying, okay, here's what all came down. What do you think is going through their minds? What, what do you think we're going to see out of uh, this pretty big news this week? Dominic, we discussed this before the show started, and you're already in violation. Just say, Lynn, what do you think? Don't embellish. Well, you know, I will tell you, I started covering, I didn't cover Tabor from the beginning. I was in New Mexico when it was first passed. Fools. But anyhow, uh, uh, I'm not a fan of Tabor. I'll start out there. It took forever. That won't surprise anybody for me to understand it when I went to the legislature and they sat down with me and I kept saying, this isn't true. I never got a Tabor refund. I never got a, what are you talking about? I never got a check from Colorado saying, here's your Tabor refund. I don't think a lot of people understand. And remember 2000, that's when we were going great guns. I don't think people realized it was put into their income tax refund. You know, I mean, I go to my tax guy, he goes, and here's your Tabor refund, and I'm like, okay, sign here, and all of that. Um, I think the big myth is when they talk about, you know, run government like a business. What business in a downturn would say, well, we're not going to buy new equipment, we're not going to fix the roof, we're not going to fix this, and then when things go good again, say, oh, we're only going to fix part of the roof, and we're only going to do this and that. I just don't think Tabor, even though you had Ref C and all that, and you actually eliminated the ratchet effect, isn't that true? Uh, just for five years. Oh, for five years. Well, great. See, we're hosed. <laughs> um, but, no, I am. I mean, it's just uh, 
this whole thing that it saved us from becoming California, it saved us. In some ways, I don't think it did save us. I think it crippled us. You look at like Jefferson County where they haven't debruced, that county has financial woes up the yin-yang. You know, I mean, Tabor may be a friend on we get a vote, but even then, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes uh, you just have to, I mean, this whole idea that you have to vote on everything, it's nice and all that, but I mean, look, everybody voted on what was the, the big aquarium tank or whatever here in Denver, and I just moved here. I go, what are you talking about? You're a landlocked state. Well, things don't always work out, so so much for the vote. I just, um, this is such a political thing. The other thing you brought up was the campaign. You know, you'd have to have this campaign. They had that with Ref C. You had Hank Brown, Bill Owens, Bruce Benson, and and that is not, you're not going to see that this time. And without that, I mean, it, without that group, who's going who's gonna to lead you to do this? True. And that was, they had that Republican trifecta, and they still lost referendum D. There was two referendums on right, that, that exactly. year. Right, exactly. That's a good point. I mentioned that was yep. Colorado's ocean journey, and everyone wanted to go see trout swimming around. Yeah. <laughs> can you believe that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you can see why I was so excited uh, th- during the introductions. Let's get to our next topic. Next Thursday, former, co- former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper and Senator Michael Bennett will appear in a debate in Miami alongside eight other Democratic presidential hopefuls. Meanwhile, nationally syndicated columnist Eugene Robinson has encouraged Hickenlooper to end his run for president and try to unseat Cory Gardner in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Ed, hearing uh, Eugene Robinson uh, make his point is, uh, we've heard from a couple of people here locally, but this was the first nationally syndicated columnist to come out and say, well, actually, I shouldn't say uh, first one because Rachel Maddow did it as well, to encourage Hickenlooper, hey, you've, you've got a much a more realistic fight uh, for Senate than you would for president. Uh, does that impact his performance next Thursday? I don't think so. And I think the key words that you're using here when you talk about Maddow or Robinson are nationally syndicated because all nationally syndicated political followers seem to look into each state and assume that every politician in that state wants to run for the office that they can most easily win. And I don't think they understand John Hickenlooper. I covered this guy for eight years very closely. And when John Hickenlooper goes on the record, as he has, and said, I don't think I would be a good senator, he's not blowing smoke. This is a guy who for 30 years has been an executive, running a business, running a city, running a state. At this point in his life, he doesn't have interest in sitting in a very slow-moving, deliberative body as one small cog in it. Yes, I mean, could John Hickenlooper have a better shot at winning the Senate than, uh, than the presidency? Absolutely. But I really do believe he doesn't want to run for Senate. He wants to take this great grand shot at being president, the same way that he did it at Denver mayor when everyone said, you can't do it, and laughed at him at 1% in the polls before he turned around to win that. Now, I think the chances are smaller that he's going to do the same on the national political scene. Uh, But people calling for him to leave this race to run for the Senate don't understand John Hickenlooper and clearly aren't following him close enough. Scott, let's talk about the other folks. Is this uh, an indictment? And maybe not from Eugene Robinson, because he's probably not keeping up with all the different uh, candidates here. But do Colorado Democrats have enough faith in the people who have already said they want to run against Cory Gardner, including Mike Johnson, Andrew Romanoff, uh, is it Dan Barrett? And there's, there's a lot of different folks. Keep going. Yeah, there's like <laughs> yeah, nine or ten I mean, of them. So certainly that, that field is getting crowded. I mean, I, I'd like to share some perspectives on, on what it means to have two Colorado Democrats on the national stage. 
Um, I mean, I think America is about to get a double dose of that very unique centrist, moderate Colorado Democrat that we have all gotten very used to. And so I think the big question for, for Thursday night is going to be how, how do American Democrats, how does the national democratic movement feel about that particular breed of centrism that we've, that we've developed here? And I think, and it's, it pains me to say it, I worked for John Hickenlooper for a number of years. I think he's making, I understand why he's chosen the specific lane that he found a lane, right? He's the anti-socialist Democratic candidate, and that's good for his campaign. But I think he's making a big mistake because I think he's, I think he's not hearing and seeing what is going on uh, among progressives in this country. And for the first time, um, you know, millennials are a generation that uh, actually have a positive view of socialism. And so I think he's taking the debate. I mean, I'm upset with Bernie Sanders for, you know, giving a speech. Uh, that's why democratic socialism is the response to oligarchy in our time. It's like a, it's like a Berkeley thesis. And I think, I, think, I think it rings hollow, and I'm very sympathetic to a lot that he has to say, but I think it's going to ring hollow. That's not how Americans talk. But I also think that John Hickenlooper is making a mistake because he's not seeing what the inequality and the incrementalism that I think his brand of of, of, of ideology has has brought into America. And so I think, the, you know, it would be interesting to see how Bennett is perceived. But, you know, Elizabeth Warren, I'm just going to make one more point, she's not talking about socialism. What she's doing is she's talking about ideas, and it's really resonating. And so I would encourage all these candidates to stop attacking the isms and just focus on the issues and the policies. Lynn, I'll follow the rules here. What do you think, Lynn? <laughs> well, um, I actually thought it was interesting. I When I read it, I thought... You know, everybody's so certain that Cory Gardner is a goner, and I read this to think that people think, hey, you need somebody really strong if you're going to unseat the likable Cory Gardner. And if you read his whole column, it's not just about Cory. Of course, we care about the Cory part. He probably makes a good um, point that Stacey Abrams hasn't announced, but she'd be better off running, you know, for Senate in Georgia than for the president. But... uh, Ed is totally right on him. For a guy who's already said, I wouldn't be interested. Of course, Ed Perlmutter said the fire was out. Then the fire got relit somehow, and he won in a landslide. So, Patty, uh, you know John Hickler very well. Is there a scenario that he would run for Senate? Possibly, but he is not going to give up on this current dream. And when you think about the reason I know John Hickenlooper is our office was across the street from the wine coop, which he started back in 1988. And he would do well to talk again about beer and being a business person and starting a business that really affects people in their lives as opposed to Trump Towers. It would be nice to move away from the socialism talk for a little bit. But I was thinking this week a lot about how his political career started. And it was, you know, Pat Boland just passed away. It was the campaign to save the name of Mile High Stadium. And it was a political campaign that started around the bar at the Wine Coop Brewery. And it would be nice to get a little more of that, to use an ism, get a little more populism in this. Let's start talking about some of the things people understand and really feel strongly about. Let's get a quick take on this last one. After officially calling off the recall effort on State Representative Tom Sullivan last week, state Republican activists announced this week that they will seek to recall Democratic Senator Brittany Pedersen. Pedersen defeated her GOP opponent in 2018 by 16 points and defeated the organizer of the recall effort, Nancy Palazzi, not be confused with another political Nancy, in the 2016 race by 19 points. 
Uh, Scott, the only thing the recall effort did for Tom Sullivan is uh, put more money to his campaign coffers, gave him national exposure, and made him actually more popular than it was when before he started. Are Democrats now welcoming the recall efforts? Well, I don't think they're welcoming the recall efforts, but I think you're exactly right that this is a godsend. Um, I mean, if you are a state legislative candidate who has to run every two or four years, one of your biggest challenges is motivating volunteers, building your machine, raising money, reminding voters who you are. I mean, this is a huge favor to someone like Brittany Pedersen, who, by the way, won her election by 20 points. Um, And so now, you know, what's happening right now is volunteers are go into staging areas, they're knocking on doors, they're reminding people what a great state senator Brittany Pedersen is for the community. So this is just a huge head-scratcher for me, and I think it's just going to help to build the Democratic infrastructure and, and, and momentum going into 2020 in, in a way that is just really, just frankly, is just a gift. Lynn, you like recalls almost as much as you like Tabor, so what do you think? <laughs> I like Tabor better, actually. Um, I, I've been very vocal on Twitter about the recalls. I don't, you know, I don't support them. Uh, I think this was really bad for the Republicans because I actually thought when the session ended, there was this sense that Democrats had really overreached, that they had introduced, even in their own words, Cadillac bills that they had to... Uh, whittled down to a Chevy to get it through because they put so much on it and got the public all riled up. And then to turn around and do this against Tom Sullivan and, and Brittany is just amazing. That's like saying, we're going to make sure that nobody ever listens to Oprah Winfrey again or something. I mean, it's just so out there that I was like, what they do, take a dartboard and it landed on her. Um, you know, Ken Buck, there's that big thing that he said, we're going to teach Democrats how to spell recall. And I think he needs to teach them how to spell win. And stopping with the recalls is a good start. Patty, uh, does the GOP simply have recall fever and they just can't, can't find the cure? Yes, and for them, recall is spelled L-O-S-E. This is just not smart. I mean, they, Lynn's absolutely right. To, I don't think they just threw a dartboard through a dart at a board. They threw it at the person who is going to hurt them the most, the person who's got such a compelling backstory. When she talks about her mother and the opioid abuse, not unlike Tom Sullivan, talking about his son who died at the Aurora Theater shooting, they are going after the wrong targets. They'd be better off finding some good candidates with good positions and getting Coloradans to know what they are. And is there a chance for a voice of reason to rise up in the Colorado GOP to say, wait, maybe we should put our resources somewhere else? I think, you know, they haven't actually filed paperwork, if I'm not wrong on this yet. So it's almost like they're floating a trial balloon. Like, you know, can we, we couldn't get Sullivan. Can we get Pedersen? Look, I think the GOP had one realistic recall target at the end of the session. Rochelle Galindo, who then resigned after being accused of several crimes. Uh, And I think they're almost jittery, like, okay, who do we go after now? Not realizing you had one shot and that went a different way. Um, I think the GOP, and, and, and you talk to people uh, around the Capitol about this, they would be wise to start finding uh, candidates in Jefferson County to take out uh, representatives like Brianna Tatone and Lisa Cutter, who won by less than a percentage point and who are representing traditionally Republican districts. But they should do it in 2020, and they should spend the time building that up rather than going after these targets like this. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Well, last night, one of the affidavits came through in the STEM high school of Highlands Ranch shooting. Just devastating to really see how troubled these students were, 
what the response was, how horrible it was, the fact that one of the security guards apparently did shoot a woman in the leg. And on top of that, STEM High School, which is facing really tough, tough challenges dealing with this, now is having problems with its charter with Douglas County. Ed. The adults who decided to rumble over the calls being made by a 13-year-old umpire at a Lakewood baseball game. I think the appropriate response to this uh, is that they should have to perform community service while their children watch so their children can learn what is truly inappropriate behavior. You're here. Scott. I'm sorry, folks. I'm going to be all Tabor all the time uh, this week. Uh, my disgrace of the week is the Denver Post editorial board that published an editorial this morning saying that they are no longer convinced that the Colorado State General Fund is in need of more revenue. As we talked about earlier, Coloradans are well aware of how underfunded our schools are, how underfunded our infrastructure is, and I'm very curious as to whether or not they've talked to the members of the Joint Budget Committee who know perfectly well what we leave on the cutting room floor every single year. Uh, I really think they need to revise that editorial statement. Lynn. I'm going to piggyback off Patty's because when that came out, there was, you know, the the troll of spear and all of that, talking about, oh, the press will never mention that they got these guns by using an axe and breaking into a locked gun safe. The press mentioned it in every story I've read. Quit spreading that stuff. Wait till, you know, it happens. Did I say something nice? Patty. As I was driving here today, I saw that a whole half block is gone just by the Rossonian Hotel. For 40 years, Denver has been trying to revive this beautiful old 20s hotel, the Rossonian, that was the head of jazz when this was the Harlem of the West. Although I'm sorry that we're going to see a mon- another monolithic apartment building right next to it. It'll be great to see that building back in business. Ed. Colorado State Patrol Trooper William Moden, who was killed about a week ago um, while pulled over on the side of I-70 trying to help somebody who was having trouble with their car. Too often in recent years, we've read about brave troopers like Moden um, only when they get killed in traffic accidents like this. It should remind people of what they're doing every day to protect us. They're here. Scott. Just to be consistent on the flip side, um, you know, hats off to the lawyers and my colleague uh, Carol Hedges, who, you know, dared to ask, you know, the big questions that everyone always assumes they know the answer to. And lo and behold, our process worked, and they got a very surprising answer that's going to change the conversation. Lynn. A year ago this week, um, a bunch of journalists announced they were now part of this new effort called Colorado Sun. It actually launched in September. It's made the mornings longer, it feels like, because you have to read through all that stuff they had. But I think it's been an incredibly wonderful addition to Colorado journalism. And I will say something nice just to totally embarrass her again. It is awesome to have you back, Lynn, and back into the uh, reporting, at least providing a column for uh, uh, political folks in Colorado. I think they're enjoying the heck out of it. Thanks. Be sure to check out our new season of Street Level that just started this week. This time we are focusing the startup boom in Colorado and how it all came to be. Check it out on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.